Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. We took a little hiatus over these last few weeks because um, the Jewish people have been living through something that is almost impossible to describe. When I have reached out to non-Jews in the last month since October 7th, the way that I've described what we're feeling right now is it's the Holocaust nightmares of our childhood playing out in real time updates before our eyes. Um, but it's not just seeing the gruesomeness and the way that our brothers and sisters in Israel were tortured and raped um, and mutilated before they died. Um, it's the way that academics and people in higher learning are giving context and explanations for why these things were okay. It's seeing tens and thousands of people, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people around the world celebrating uh, what was done to us and asking for more. And then if that wasn't bad enough, um, it is the denialism of it. Um, like we all know about Holocaust denialism, despite the fact that the Nazis kept great records. And we always wondered how was that possible? But Hamas literally wore body cams. They literally filmed the most horrific acts done to human beings in real time, uploaded it to social media, to Telegram. It seems like it should be indisputable. And yet we have October 7th deniers that are all over the world um, gaslighting us as we are in our deepest pain. Now, as a person of faith, I am turning to faith and prayer um, in ways that I haven't in my entire lifetime. But there is one other piece of hope in all of this, and that is the amazing and wonderful righteous Gentiles that exist among us. Um, I had the privilege about a year ago to connect with a man named Aston Bright. Um, he is a firefighter in Plantation, Florida. He grew up with Jews um, and really from lifelong friendships uh, felt naturally part of the community. And he told me then that he had gone to Israel before to help uh, when there were wars, when there were issues. And Aston reached out to say he is in Israel right now. He has come back to serve. So um, from the front lines, Aston, thank you so much and welcome to our show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, glad to be here. I wish it was under different circumstances. For sure. Now, in terms of the Jews, the reservists around the world that um, heard that Israel was attacked and, you know, came to serve their country, the numbers of people that, um, you know, took the call or even came in when they weren't called up uh, was astounding. I think they got about 150 uh, percent people show up, which is incredible. But this is the Jewish homeland, the Jewish state. And so even though it's heroic, um, we can kind of understand it. Um, how did you um, well, first, like, let's move back. Where were you when you heard about October 7th? How did you experience it as a friend and ally of the Jewish community? The morning of October 7th, I woke up to about 100 missed calls and text messages from friends who live in Israel, friends who are in the United States, basically just asking me uh, if I knew what was going on. And I started getting pictures from Israel. I have a lot of friends who are firefighters in the South and then they gave all over. And I just honestly couldn't believe it. So when I first heard there was a terrorist attack, I thought, okay, there were some rockets and Iron Dome, I'm sure it took out most or all of them. And they're okay, there's probably some fires and they're working on putting out the fires and everything would be normal. It's really normal, which is not anything anyone ever wants to experience. But I started hearing that this was something totally different. Um, it was just a surprise attack and they uh, breached 
the fence. Most people think there's a wall around Gaza and that's actually not true. There's only a small portion that has a wall. It's just a, a fence that um, separates Israel from Gaza and they, they breached the fence and hundreds of terrorists came in and were marauding um, uh, throughout the South. And I, I just really couldn't believe it. But it was in that moment as I'm still laying in my bed, trying to make sense of all this, that I absolutely knew I had to come to Israel to help. So it wasn't even a question of if I was coming, it was how soon can I get here? And um, to that promise I made to myself that day, I am here um, just several miles away from, uh, from the Gaza Strip. Hmm. I mean, you know, there are these people that did these things that we don't want to use the word people, but I guess, um, you know, being a human being allows a person to have free will and to do the most ghastly, horrific, unimaginable things. Um, and then there are the people that run towards the tragedy tragedy, um, and run towards um, the scary place to do the helping. And as a firefighter, that's obviously a choice that you made in your career. Um, but it, it is so meaningful that um, you know, you're know you not only doing it for uh, the United States of America where you're a citizen, but also um, for your brothers and sisters in Israel. So. Um, how long have you, you know, been can I, there? Can I, can, can, can I say something real quick, Allison? Yeah. It, it actually was an easy decision for me because 80 years ago, who was it that came to help the Jewish people when they were crying and calling for help? 80 years ago, who came and helped the Jewish people? And that's not a rhetorical question. No one came. No mm. one came. And mm. so for me, I just, I just knew I had to come. And um, I belong to an incredible organization called the Emergency Volunteers Project. And uh, they've been organizing firefighters since 2007. A gentleman named Adi Zahavi created this organization in order to help Israel in times of war or if there's a national crisis, in order to help expand the architecture and infrastructure of the Israel first responder system. And um, I, I immediately knew I was coming. It wasn't even a question. I didn't think about the safety. I didn't know when they would gain control of the South. It didn't matter, I was coming. Incredible. It's really, it's so moving. Um, I never cry and everything makes me cry now. Um, so when, when did you get here? How long ago, after, how long after October 7th, did you get here? Um, what had you been hearing on the news versus like, what do you see on the ground? Can you sort of describe to us the difference between how the media reports it versus what it's like to be here? So for security purposes, um, we generally don't like to talk about specifics about our movements and when we're here, when we're leaving, those sorts of things. But um, I've been here for a considerable amount of time. And just like the very first time when I came to Israel, what you see in the news and what you see in reality, um, it's completely different. So when I got here, um, I started to hear about the denials on TV and the news. I started seeing a lot of protests. Um, uh, pro-Palestine protests and things like that and basically people saying that nothing really happened they were only attacking military targets and it's not true and and it's just astounding and you touched on it in your open when you said that uh, people trying to gaslight Israel there, there are 1400 people who were murdered that's not something you can make up and you have another 240 people who uh, are missing. They're in Gaza, a uh, location unknown, as we're sitting here right now, just a few miles from where I'm at. Uh, and so it was just absolutely uh, unbelievable that people would think that we are so stupid that they could say that to us and we're just going to you know, blow it off. But that's actually not what has happened. And, and talking to some dear friends of mine 
who are very well connected here and kind of know what is going on. He said something to me and I'll never forget. He said, Hamas has opened the gates of hell and Israel is coming through. And this is what I try to explain to people when they're asking me, well, you know, why won't, why is Israel bombing Gaza and all these innocent civilians and these, this, that, and the other thing? Why won't they, why won't they have a ceasefire? Well, there was actually a ceasefire on October the 6th, which was violated when Hamas uh, launched this genocidal uh, terror attack. So there, in my personal opinion, I don't speak for Israel. I don't speak for the government. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't think there is gonna be a ceasefire. I don't think that this time is different. This time is yeah. different. The gates of hell are open and I just don't see how, I just don't see how Hamas can remain in Gaza uh, after this. And I, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I, I don't think there's gonna be a ceasefire. You know, one of the things that Israel gets accused of um, is sort of indiscriminately targeting innocents um, in Gaza. Um, and I think it comes from the blood libel. It comes from this uh, idea in the psyche of the world for the last thousand years that Jews are bloodthirsty baby killers that, you know, just can't wait to kill more people. You're someone that works within, you know, uh, a unit within the United States as a firefighter. You're now there seeing how, you know, the Israeli army is operating. Do you have any thoughts about um, how Israel conducts itself in terms of following international law versus the accusations of war crimes? Israel is the type of place where, you know, if they sneeze, the whole world gets a cold. So they have to be very cautious and careful. Their rules of engagement are well above and beyond any international law. They, um, uh, they are very careful as to making sure that they uh, limit collateral damage as much as possible. But when you've been attacked and 1400 of your citizens and residents um, have, been, have been murdered and another 240 are missing, you're gonna take the gloves off. This is not the time where you're going to um, really be worried about what people are saying. You're gonna always try to follow the rules and, and target military targets, of course. I think they've taken out 130 uh, tunnels. There are 300 miles of tunnels underneath Gaza, 300 miles. So instead of building hospitals and, and clinics and schools for the um, Palestinian people, they've been building tunnels and, um, and, and stealing fuel and, and doing these sorts of things. Uh, so Israel's gonna have to go on, down on those tunnels and, 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 and drag them out of there. It's, it's not gonna be easy especially when you consider that part of the strategy of Hamas is to put their military targets underneath schools and uh, their main headquarters underneath the main hospital in Gaza City. So they specifically want to use their the Palestinians as human shields, and they've done that. As a matter of fact, the, um, the leader of Hamas has recently said that uh, they, they um, they, they, that without the, without the Palestinians as human shields, they would never be able to stand up to Israel and they know this. So they're hoping that they can fire from the top of a school. And when Israel returns fire and injures innocent people, they can point to that and say, oh, look, you know, Israel is targeting our civilians. When in fact, they're just returning fire from where a rocket was fired from. So it's, it's people try to say it's complicated. It's actually not complicated if you just know the situation and you know what's going on. So what you said, they're hoping they can fire from the top and use the, the civilians as human shields. Is that the basic idea? 
yes uh the idf uh, they're they're in the, they're in uh northern gaza right now and they're discovering rocket launchers uh they in a boy scout troop building they have mm-hmm. paintings of uh boy scouts on the wall and there are rocket launchers there so they use their people as human shields they'll fire rockets from the boy scout troop building and then when Hamas, and then when israel returns fire there and blows it up you'll see the pictures of the boy scouts on the wall and they can point to that and say look they're targeting our people and it's just all smoke and mirrors and it's not true uh, the, the idf is incredibly uh, just they are uh, they follow the law they follow the rules and i find it interesting that people are always trying to point out whether or not they're following the rules when hamas is is making attacks and, and brutally um, uh, murdering people and taking hostages and they don't seem to have think that they, they seem to think that is part of the rules so it's just absurd you know, there was that hospital story where it was an Islamic, uh, Islamic Jihad missile that fell short um, and hit the hospital parking lot. The whole world said that it was Israel that hit the hospital, which if Israel had, it would have been an errant missile and because Israel doesn't target um, hospitals. And I was told that there is a hospital in Ashkelon in Israel that was hit three times by um, Hamas rockets and nobody's reporting it. So sort of moving along to what you do practically, are you one of the guys that when there is a missile that falls and a fire happens in Israel, is that part of what you're, are you allowed to say that that's what you do in your volunteering? Or can you say anything that what you're doing in your volunteer firefighting? Sure, sure. We are, um, we're firefighters. And so we go out and we fight fires. I, I will have to tell you that uh, I've been a fire, met firefighter for 10 years. I've never, until uh, I got here, put out a fire that was uh, caused by a rocket hitting a, smashing into a, a building, smashing into an apartment building. But here we are. And what is more astounding and what a lot of people probably don't know is every building and every home in Israel has to have a bomb shelter built into it. There's, there's, there aren't very many countries that would ever allow that, allow that to continue and allow that to happen. And yet Israel has to do that simply because the world won't stand up behind them and end uh, the madness that's happening with uh, countries and, and, and um, uh, rockets coming out of Gaza. And actually, I'm hearing tonight that the uh, Houthi rebels in Yemen fired a rocket that hit uh, a lot tonight uh, down mm. in the south. So it, it's just it's, it's unheard of that there's a country that deals with as much as Israel deals with. And yet the IDF does everything in their power to uh, limit civilian casualties and they're trying to protect their people. But after the attacks on October the 7th, they're doing whatever they need to do in order to end this, this, this hostility and this constant menace, which has unfortunately taken so many lives. And there are 240 hostages right now, uh, location unknown. So it's not even like you can say, oh, the attack is over. This, this is continuing. So the work, the humanitarian work that I'm here to do is, is so important. And, and even more so than just putting out fires, it's when people see that there are Americans, and by the way, the EVP has brought over 65 firefighters, 65 American firefighters already. And we have another 300 waiting in the wings to come. Mm-hmm. And what is most amazing is when we run into people on the streets, they'll say to us, you know, everybody hates Jews. Why, why would you come here to help us? And it just shatters my heart to hear that. And I told them, you know, we're here because we, we stand with you. And the United States is your strongest partner, friend and ally. And there's an unbreakable bond between the United States and Israel. And so we're here as a reflection of that. So just the moral support 
that we provide for the firefighters and for the community is just tremendous. And down in the South, there were several firefighters who were actually killed on October the 7th, yeah. uh, two, of which, two of which I knew I served with before. And so this is something very, very personal to the, to the, the residents down here in the Negev. And uh, it's something that, that, that they'll never forget. And we wanna make sure that they know we remember and we stand with them always. So beautiful. You were already speaking, going on speaking tours, uh, speaking up for the Jewish community, for Israel. Um, is there anything new that you will add to your speeches now when you come back, God willing, with safety um, and continue um, advocating for the Jewish people? Um, is there an update to your message that you'll have? Yeah, yeah. without a doubt, there's an update to my message. Um, you know, I've, 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 I've been in Israel before when there were rocket attacks, but I, I think this is just so different because... It was more than just uh, just like a rocket attack terrorism situation. This was like a genocidal terrorist attack. And I mean, just the, the videos and the images are just horrific. So it, this, this changes things. This, this changes things. I think it changes things for everyone. It changes things for, I think, the strategy, the strategy of Israel and how they're going to deal with this situation. I think that it changes things for the people who come here to do humanitarian work. Uh, and it changes things for me. I think it helps me to double down on my resolve to continue to help the people of Israel deal with this menace. And we have an incredible organization with the Emergency Volunteers Project. There's also um, a division that does uh, food, feeding people. So since October the 7th, the EVP has fed uh, 75,000 meals to residents who have been displaced from the south, they moved a lot of residents from the south to other locations where it's safer. And they also feed the IDF soldiers on the front line, on the Gaza front lines. So in addition to that, the EVP also brings over physicians. So physicians, nurses, occupational therapists, physical therapists, they help them get a temporary license so they can practice medicine and they place them and put them to work. These are volunteers. People who take time off of their, their, their clinics and their practices and they come here to staff the ICUs, staff the uh, emergency room surgery centers and to staff the military hospitals in order to help protect the civilians that are being injured by these these rockets and these just these devastating terrorist attacks you know we spoke about your uh lifelong allyship and the work you're doing in israel now something that came up in our last interview um was that conversation of some of the division that has been created between the jewish community and the black community and obviously you can't speak on behalf of all black people um but you know in some ways, in this, uh, the aftermath of October 7th, when we saw people from BLM chapters supporting the paragliders, supporting uh, Palestine, you know, sort of decolonizing, as they say, by any means necessary, or comparing this to apartheid in South Africa. Um, how do you, as a Black man, respond to that type of attitude? I think it's outrageous. I think it's outrageous. There's always been a natural allyship between uh, the Jewish community and the Black community. The civil rights movement was, uh, was, was they, they were pivotal in the civil rights movement. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, 10 days before he was assassinated, was in New York at the uh, National Assembly, uh, the National Association of Rabbinical Assembly, speaking to rabbis 10 days before. And he said that uh, the Jewish community are, are friends for a common good. I think that the problem is a lot of the young people just don't know the history. They don't know about the Freedom Riders. Most of the Freedom Riders in the South were Jewish. The Mississippi burning case, uh, two of those people who were killed were Jewish stu college students. So the, our, our communities have always been very close, but unfortunately, 
there has been a lost connection and I'm not sure why, but I am actually going to double my efforts in trying to help to educate these youths so they better understand the history and they better understand how close the black community, the Jewish community has always been. And I'm going to definitely try to make that connection much, much more viable. And that's something that I'm really gonna be uh, very much focused on. Have you had any examples of people that you've spoken to in the past that held a less positive view of uh, Israel or Jews and you know, through your advocacy uh, were able to shift any hearts? Absolutely, I think that just the, the fact that I'm out here speaking, uh, I, I go to schools and I talk and I definitely open up the hearts and minds of people who just don't know the history. You know, I tell them to do your research and that's how it all starts is with a conversation. Everyone doesn't have to always agree, but you have to have an open mind. You have to be willing to do some research and take a look so you can understand the history. And that's something that I, I really focus on. Something else I also wanted to do for your viewers is show you something that the only place in the world you're gonna see this. I have one of my firefighter buddies here, David is here. And Israel is the only place in the world we're gonna see a firefighter who carries guns. Hi, how are you? Do you have can, can you hear? Yeah, we can hear. Oh, hello. Hello, can you hear me? Can, can you hear? Can hear you. Yeah, David, can you talk? Yeah, I just wanted to. I just wanted your viewers to see, like, there's nowhere else in the world where you're going to see firefighters carrying guns, but they have to do that here. And this is what we're working against. This is what we're trying to change. And this is why the EDP has sent all these 65 firefighters, and we have 300 more coming to support our friends here in Israel, like my, my brother, David, and we're gonna be side by side working with them. And uh, maybe one day the firefighters won't have to carry guns. That's, that would be a dream for me because Israel is a safe place for everyone to live. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, yes, uh, from your mouth to God's ears. Um, and do you have Thank any you, sense? Appreciate you, appreciate you brother. And do you have any sense of uh, of how much longer you're there for? Do they give you that idea or sort of the coming and the going is not the case? So, so we, we come in and uh, then we spend a certain amount of time that we rotate out. Uh, but like I said, we have another 300 um, emergency volunteer project firefighters ready to go. So, uh, and matter of fact, when uh, October 7th happened, we had 700 applications from firefighters all over the world trying to come here and help Israel. So I try to let my Jewish community friends know that you're not alone. There are many, many more of us who support you. Don't pay attention to when you see these rallies and you'll see people, there's 320 million people in the United States. You know, having a several hundred people at a rally absolutely means nothing. Uh, the state of Israel polls higher in a recent Harvard Harris poll. It polls higher than the US military. So the United, the people of the United States are behind Israel. I know you, I know you may feel alone and isolated, but when we come here, even beyond fighting fires and running fire calls. And a woman was trapped under a car the other day. I mean, we, they have the same calls we, we have in the United States. We just don't have calls with rockets exploding, but we're here and we, we're here to help boost the morale of the country, of the firefighters. And when they see us, people come up to me on the street and they just can't believe that we're here to support them. And um, through the EVP's efforts, we're gonna continue to be here to support the state of Israel and the Jewish people and uh, try, try to change things from the way they are. It's really, it is such righteous, holy, incredible work. Um, as I'm sure you know from the Bible, uh, he who blesses Israel will be blessed. And um, Aston, 
Um, you and all your loved ones should be blessed um, 10,000 fold. It Thank is you. I appreciate for, that. For laying your life on the line um, for the Jewish people. And we do feel um, incredibly alone at this time right now. And um, we are so, so grateful. Um, and I don't, I think I'm speaking pretty much for every Jewish person that's watching this right now. Um, you don't know how much it means. And I think when we all come into the world, we have to figure out how do we make our mark? How do we use the unique situations or talents that we have to serve in a meaningful way, in a transcendent way? Um, you have found your calling um, and our hearts are are forever uh, with you and grateful for all that you're doing. Um, and we'll, we'll continue to amplify your incredible voice. Well, you know, I'm Yisrael Kai and I'll be here for you guys forever. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Um, stay strong. Um, keep the hostages and the soldiers and the brave firefighters in your prayers. Um, and uh, we will hopefully see you in better times in future episodes. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Thank you.